Sunday, um, well, not quite morning episode of the Knicks Film School podcast, um, and as has been the case several Sundays throughout this year, uh, my my partner Jeff Ballone is on the line with us. Jeff, uh, it's it's twelve oh nine on Sunday. Actually, how, how have you spent your Sunday morning? I uh, brought the girls out to breakfast. Actually, I had a new breakfast spot. It's oh like wow! We get so we get so routine. A lot of times on Sunday morning, we like to go to a you know a place down the road from our house for breakfast. And this morning, we're like, all right, we're gonna live crazy, and we're gonna drive <laughs> somewhere that's like five minutes farther down the way and uh, and get breakfast there. So that was our exciting morning. So an extra five minutes was was it worth it? It was good, yeah. And I don't know if it was good just because it was different or um, or what, but. But yeah, it was worth it. And then, you know, the weather's just perfect today. So while we're kind of trapped uh, inside talking Knicks, it's, you know, it's a pretty nice day out there. Yeah. So we'll, how about this? How about we, we uh, do ourselves a favor and we, we won't um, go too, too long uh, with our, with our Sunday conversation so we could actually enjoy some of this day. But, um, you know, we were, we were texting over the course of the week and um, I think we both felt it was important to, to at least get on and kind of. Um, I well actually this is this is a good starting point. The word I was going to use is recalibrate, um, because there were some little snippets of news that came out over the last couple of days, and then obviously there was the the Nets move, um, a trade that opened up one max slot outright and gave them the ability to access two max slots um, if they uh, basically renounce everybody. Um, and I I, I wonder if recalibrate is the right word because a few people on Twitter over the last like 24 to 48 hours are like, what's really changed about like the approach going into this summer for the, from the Knicks perspective. And, and I guess let's start with that. Has, has anything changed in the last, uh, again, I want to say 48 hours or is it still like, yeah, they're let's gung ho for, for max, max guys. No, I mean, I think that's that's the point, right? Where what's changed is, to me, the only thing that has changed is Kyrie Irving in terms of where it seems the reports or where the reports make it seem like he is leaning. But not because of that, I think a lot of people are, you know, making the next jump of, well, if that's true, then that might mean this or that might mean that. Yeah. But those are just all of us making guesses. Um, and then in terms of the Knicks and, you know, how they react to what happens with the big guys, I'll call them, kind of making their decision. I don't think that's changed because we know as much as everyone has talked about, you know, Steve Mills and Scott Perry um, being confident about free agency. They've also <laughs> stated numerous occasions that if they don't land one of the superstars, that they're content with you know, building through the draft and, and being patient. They're not going to overpay. They're not going to pay a non-max guy a max contract. So I don't think we've heard anything to suggest that has changed. Well, I think it's two things, and you, you brought them both up. I think that the, Kyrie, the, the Nets trade, and we'll talk about that, I guess, first, 
and the subsequent or associated Kyrie rumors. I think that's one thing. And I think the what we heard, I guess, yesterday from uh, Chris Broussard went, went on the herd and, and basically said what you just said, that someone from the Knicks office, front office you know, said to him, hey, if we don't get anybody big, we may just go the, the Hawks route. I, I think what stood out to me about that is, yes, we've heard Perry and Mills say repeatedly over the course of the last, I want to, you know, at this point, it's been about a year, close to a year, that... Hey, listen. If you know, we're always content to to fall back on on you know just going slow and steady wins the race. But I think this is the first time that it it almost seemed like that wasn't the secondary message because it, it we've heard that before, but it, it always came after like, hey, we're going to be shooting for the stars, and if we don't get the stars, we're going to do this. This to me felt a little bit different. Or, or maybe I'm, that's just how I'm perceiving it. How do, am I? Am I reading too much into it? I do this sometimes. <laughs> um, no, I mean I think that the overall message this entire year has been, um, you know, has been that you know they want to they want to show that their thinking is different than maybe it's been in the past. So I think that they've that's a been good way more. Of putting it. Yes, I think they've been more measured. In, in showing the balance of, you know, look, we're going to do what every single team in the NBA, especially a team in our position, meaning playing in New York City, should do, yes. which is there's a bunch of star players that are going to be free agents. There's a lot of chatter that maybe they'd be interested in playing with you. So you have the cap space in case they want to sign and you make moves just like the Nets just did in case that you can get one of those guys. But then at the same time, what is different is that hedge. So I think, you know, I, I think that's to me the biggest, you know, difference in this past year than the past is that the hedge is finally there versus in 2010, you know, they, you know, there were some young guys that, um, you know, on the roster, but I, it just wasn't quite the same as now in terms of obviously these high lottery picks and future draft picks in, in excess. Yeah, and I think ultimately, um, if they end up do go, uh, if they end up going that route this summer, people's opinions on it, and, and we certainly are not going to relitigate either of these topics right now. But people's opinions on it will be divergent um, based on two things: one, their opinions on the Kristaps Porzingis situation and whether that was a trade that needed to be made one way or the other, or a trade that essentially you know, didn't need to be made and they did, you know, um, shoehorn through for the cap space and two people's opinions on the young players on the roster. And I guess to a certain extent, RJ Barrett, if he ends up here, what I find very refreshing is that like I sent out a tweet yesterday, uh, in, in reaction to your, um, you know, pushing out the, the Broussard, uh, quote. And I was, <laughs> and it was funny because the way I worded it was like, if, if you're a Knicks fan, um, and and this ends up happening, meaning they go the Hawks route. You you know you lick your wounds because it's going to suck. You know, B um, you turn off TV and and get off social for like a couple months, and then C you like thank your lucky stars that the Knicks are finally doing what they should have done multiple times over the last two decades. And what was so funny to me is so many people latched on to that third point, and they were like, "Yes, I choose option three. And I and I want to say like. No, I'm not saying you have to choose one. It's like you do all three. Um, <laughs> right, right. But, but it just spoke to me to 
like, yes, despite the fact that there's been so much talk about, yeah, we're going to try to get Max guys, how many fans out there are just like, yeah, fine, great, if they come, they come, but I think people genuinely are going to be like, maybe not just as happy, but more or less just as happy if they end up going forward with, you know, with all these kids and, and make some other smart moves um, associated with that. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, they're just as happy. I mean, maybe, maybe that's a tough one just because, you know. Not everybody. Get, not everybody. Right. But, uh, well, and you get the super. I mean, to me, it's also a timeline and it's a probability of success thing. So if you yeah. get multiple guys. So if you say somehow you got Durant and Kawhi, which isn't going to happen. But let's just say because to me, I feel like, you know, those two aren't looking to pair up or unless, you know, I guess anything. Nothing surprises us in NBA, <laughs> right? But, yeah. but, you know, if you got the extreme then obviously you you would want that more than another outcome because when you're building through the draft and doing all these things, you're doing it hoping you know you end yeah. up with right. There's an so, uncertainty involved there. But I think there's definitely you know I think the difference is just you know it, it's just this cycle that happens. So I think I was talking to you about this the other day. It's funny how it works. So one. The Knicks play in the, a New York market, so that's obviously a larger market. But what's different than playing in the New York market and being the Yankees is they aren't a team that's been so successful that they would get bandwagon fans because they've been successful. So then when something happens involving them and it's louder because of the bigger market, it's not just louder because all those bandwagon fans talking. It's louder just because New York City's big and somehow the Knicks are still very big despite you know their recent results. But then... Because of that, I think the national media and other NBA localities and fans, they sort of respond to that noise that always surrounds the Knicks where they want the Knicks, you know, maybe not to do well or not even that more. They kind of laugh at the fact like we had to hear about all these rumors and now let's say they got nobody. Ha ha, the Knicks got nobody. And then now it leaves us, the Knicks fans, reacting to those people reacting. It's just a funny to me. It's just like a vicious cycle where everyone's kind of reacting to each other. But you can look at it individually and say, no, no one. I don't, you know, every fan of their team. That's what you do. You're a fan. You root for your team. So if you keep hearing rumors about Kevin Durant, you're going to tweet about it. You're going to get excited about it. It's not you, you know, being irrational in, in this case with so many reports out there. So I think, like you said, it'll be if they somehow didn't get them. You'd have to stay away from social media probably because yeah. it's just going to be, you know, a dumpster fire. But then you would recharge and you'd say, OK, like this, you know, there, there's still uh, something there in terms of just the normal way that you would build a team. And I think that's, you know, that that's the piece that um, most fans, at least we talk to, seem to feel comfortable with. Yeah. And let's also say the other the, the two couple obvious things that, that should be said out loud. One, um, the the hope of every fan base is that the people running the team aren't going to react to um the the you know the reaction they aren't going to react to the reaction to something so which is what i think a lot of people um over the years have felt like maybe was the genesis of of some of the Knicks' worst moves is they were you know trying to avoid people going you know, LOL Knicks, and in effect, that's exactly what they, you know, they they only dug the hole deeper. So by going this, again, I'll call it the Hawks route, it would essentially be, you know, acknowledging the fact that, yeah, every, you know, everyone's going to be, 
laughing at us from here to kingdom come, well, you know what? We don't care. We're still going to do what we think is right, which I think that in and of itself is part of what would be so refreshing for the fan base if it did transpire. And the other part of it, and again, should be obvious, but I'll say it anyway, if you're going that route, it means you're not signing the wrong players to um, you know deals that you, you can't move. And I know that is a generality that requires a more nuanced discussion because maybe there would be a, a contract or two that would make sense. But I think in general, um, you know, we're, we're in agreement that, you know, smart short-term deals are, would, would be the way to go there. Um, I'm trying to think if I wanted to make another, another, Oh yeah. Last point on this. And, and you said this in the past, I think the other way that this would be different from 2010 would be, if they did indeed go the route, which I guess it sounds like they would go, which is acquiring maybe some some ex- other teams' um, bad expiring money to try to get caps or uh, draft picks, they would still be leaving themselves open to make the next you know trade for a superstar should it should it transpire. So it's like yes, you struck out, but you're you know, your at bat isn't over, I guess, so to speak, or maybe you're you you struck out, but your your inning isn't over. That's probably the better way to, uh, to <laughs> right, it. right, yeah, um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of reasons why people are reacting the way that they are to that, um, which I you know is is good. Um, well, so let's talk about the the Nets thing real quick. So let me just ask you flat out: Do you think Sean Marks makes this move unless he has? I don't want to say a guarantee, but, you know. Well, yeah, I'll say it. Do you, do you think he has, like, an implicit guarantee from, from Kyrie or, or someone else? I think that it's probably similar to even how the Knicks had to look at things, where we heard when they traded Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee, along with Perzingis, that it would have cost them, you know, multiple first-round picks to move those contracts by themselves, right? And that if they had waited... So it was one thing about, yes, you're attaching them to Chris Stapp's Brzingis, but there was also a timing thing where, yes. you know, I can't remember who reported it, but the idea was, you know, it's common sense idea. If you get to July 1st and now the whole league knows that such and such player wants to sign with you, but you don't have the cap space yet, well, guess what? Now you can hold these teams up for ransom because it's like the Knicks aren't going to say, sorry, Kevin Durant, you can't sign here because we don't have the cap space. They're going to trade three first-round picks, right, to get rid of the players. So I wonder with the Nets if it's similar, if it's more about, like, Obviously, the trade happens within the same you know week that we hear about Kyrie Irving, so it's easy to map those two together. But I just wonder if it's more, you know, we're two weeks away from the draft, and we're just starting to get into that time again where teams are you know making moves, and maybe the cost to the Nets, in Mark's opinion, of making that move now, even though it cost two first-round picks, one was top 14 protected, and they did get Prince back. Yes. Maybe he thought that price was less than it would be if they had to do the move on July 5th when it was clear that they had to move the contract. I think it's more that than it is any, like, guarantee, but with all, you know, with Woj and everyone saying about Kyrie, maybe he does at least feel more confident that, okay, yeah, like it, it does, you know, we're at least getting some hint that, you know, sign. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think you, I think you, you 
said it well. And, and and let me like it's all about the percentages, right? Like I think the Knicks, based on their intel when they traded Porzingis and and targeted cap space as a significant part of the return. You know, let's say they had they felt it was going to be like a sixty percent chance that you know they were going to use most, if not all, of that space on on someone significant or sixty five percent chance, something like that. Maybe the Nets at this point were that much closer. Maybe they feel you know seventy percent confident or seventy five percent confident, something like that. I do think it's um, important, and you mentioned Prince was part of the return because I think. You could probably make the argument that maybe the Nets feel that Prince is better than whoever they would have gotten at the, um, uh, what is it, the 17th pick they traded away? 17th, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think you can make that argument. Obviously, Prince has, um, you know, more service time, so he'll be a restricted free agent in a year as opposed to four years for a rookie. But, like, I don't know. You could, you know, if you're Sean Marks, I think you could live with yourself if, you didn't get, you know, Irving, which is again the, the one we're assuming that he he feels he's going to get. Um, what I wonder, and I think what everybody's wondering, and what we started the show talking about, is whether you know they feel like they they have intel that it's not just going to be, it's not just going to be Irving. Um, and then what else does that mean? Which is you know obviously what sets up um, this entire summer, and you know Windhorst kind of encapsulated it pretty well when he was, you know, basically said, it's like, all right, now everybody, Knicks and Nets both have two slots. Clippers have their slot. They could get to two if they move Gallinari. And then, you know, the Lakers obviously um, have all their assets in cap space. Something related, but not um, directly, tangentially related, I'll say. A bunch of people um, have pitched the Gallo um, for like if if they if the Knicks go the Hawks route, something that they think would be appealing, like oh well let's let's take on Gallinari's expiring for a first round pick. I I don't think they're going to need to attach a first to get rid of Gallo's expiring contract. I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but don't yep. you feel like someone would take him on like willingly for maybe like a protected second? Yeah, no, I think um, there's going to be other teams that you know, are left with cap space to spend. Yeah. And he's obviously someone, you know, with it being an expiring contract that can add value. I think, yeah, when you're right, like when you're at it, when you're looking for, you know, draft pick compensation, it's got to be a player that's basically making a lot of money and doing nothing. Or it's the team is desperate to move the player for cap space and they just are willing to pay a premium out of that desperation. I don't think that either of those situate, you know, either of those conditions apply here. Um, so, you know, yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't, that would be a nice one yeah, for the Knicks, but yeah, I, um, I guess the reason I bring it up is because I, I feel like um, the, you know, there may be some fans out there who just think like, oh, we'll, we'll be able to get like, you know, really good players. I think you'll be able to get assets, in draft assets, but I think you're going to have to take back players who are not going to help you. Like I, I'm, I'm talking like the, you know, I mean, all of those, all of those contracts from the summer of 2016, the Biombos, the, the Mozgovs, the, um, who am I forgetting? The, the Mahinmies of the world, like, you know, yeah, the, right, the right. Evan Turner, although he had, you know, a good kind of, game and a half in the playoffs. Um, but like people like that who are, 
So I think that is that would actually be an interesting um, decision for the Knicks front office to make. Would they rather sign like a better player on a bloated one-year deal who may actually help them this year, or acquire like an expiring contract of a guy who you know is is probably going to sit on the end of their bench, but not something we need to talk about right now. Um, trying to think if there was one other thing we wanted to cover before we go. We I feel like we got through a lot actually in a little bit of yeah, time. Yeah, no, I think so. Which is which is odd for us. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, because usually, usually, um, usually. Oh, you know what? I I did want to touch on before we went. Um, so it's Sunday. Uh, game five of the finals um, is tomorrow. Um, we could be seeing the end of the Warriors dynasty. I'll, I'll call it a dynasty. Um, do you do you think that we should be rooting for one outcome or another at this point? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think I've leading up to the finals and everything. I was, and I'd even tweeted out maybe after game one or one of the games that you know we should all be Warrior fans because. Um, it just does seem a little more logical to me that, like, if they had proven that they could win without Durant, like, I, I guess that narrative made sense to me, right? Like, they win without him, they the people start building up on this, like, oh, they don't need him, and it just leads well into the play of he goes to the Knicks to prove that he's can be the main guy and win and literally take a team from 17 wins to a championship and all that. Um, I guess I'm not a hundred percent sure if that needs to happen, but the other facet that starting to bubble up a little bit now, and me and you talked about this a little bit yesterday when you sent me, um, about the true hoop, uh, uh yeah. email it went out. And funny enough, since you sent me that, I saw it in a couple other places too, including, the podcast that Winhurst, I mean, they had everyone on this podcast after game four. It was Winhurst, it was Zach Lowe, it was I've been listening to Shelburne. That, yeah. I need to. It, everyone, Jackie McMullen. And oh, wow. they, again, were also making a similar, and I guess I, I'm saying, I'm not even saying the point yet. It's that no one is coming out and saying, oh, Kevin Durant is, you know, could be playing right now, and for some reason he's not. But there seems to be some hinting amongst, you know, reporters that, Maybe there is some sort of tension there that, you know, you have Looney coming back. Obviously, you have Clay Thompson coming and, back. And by the way, and by the way, Looney came back after he had, he had, didn't they rule him out for the series? Yeah, they had ruled him out, right. Yeah. And then, so the question is, is there some, is there a tension there that for whatever reason, Durant's not back. Now, for all we know, inside the locker room, they all know more info than we do, where they literally know there is no chance this guy can play. Where it's only, you know, maybe it's some gamemanship or something that, you know, they do this more in hockey, I guess, than basketball, that they're just not telling the public how severe it is. And they kind of leave that, you know, that thought in the back of the would he would he be out there trying to like warm up and stuff like we've we've you would think not right you wouldn't think so so that's why again you know i'm i guess i'm trying to give the benefit of doubt but it just seems like there is some you know there there's some thought that maybe there's a, a little tension to the idea that he hasn't come back and you wonder if that adds to what's already been a year long um 
dynamic in the locker room of the players having to answer questions and kind of see reports about where he'll play next. Well, now they're going through that in a much smaller scale, but perhaps with the same consequences because the championship is on the line through the NBA finals about whether he's playing or not. Yeah. Um, God, I, I, you could tell me anything and I would, I mean, I look, he's hurt. I mean, there's no, it's not like he's milk, you know, he's, he's hurt. He's clearly hurt. Um, and I, I, I want to, I want to say that I think his game is such that if he's not, you know, able to make certain moves, um, is he like, is he the type of play, like certain players I feel like can gut it out. You know what I mean? And like, even if they're limited can still be effective players, and he's obviously still a, a a wonderful shooter, but then it gets into like, all right, if he comes back and he is clearly limited, um, isn't he isn't he still better than some of the other you know people they're throwing? Out? I mean, I don't know. I can't I can't answer that question. I there are two other parts of this, and we'll I guess maybe we'll finish with these that I think are actually maybe even more interesting. One, if Leonard wins, like him leaving would be unprecedented. Right. If he yeah, I mean, Toronto, right? Because right, because LeBron obviously left after they had uh, lost that series. And by the way, I was it, you have to sit there and think it is crazy. The idea of LeBron last year, it was all about LeBron's decision. Yeah, and then you could argue, obviously, the Lakers don't even make the playoffs. But that said, and leading to I think the point you're about to say with Kawhi, how much does LeBron's decision last summer change everything about this summer because I'm not saying Toronto would have the thing they've always done against LeBron and folded in the wind with Kawhi because that would have been the big difference. But you don't know, like you know, are can I? I I'll posit even in this position. I'll posit a theory. I think if LeBron stayed, well, I should I should get my facts straight before um, I say what I'm about to say. When did they? When did they actually make the trade for Leonard? Um, oh, you're right. That's good in terms of the timing. You're right. I'm, I'm not. I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember exactly the All timing. All right. So they traded for Leonard on July 18th. So LeBron had already done what he was going to do. I then yes, I will say the point that I was about to say. I think if they if LeBron resigned in Cleveland, I think he is. I think Masai Ujiri is just wiping. He's wiping the slate clean. Um, I think he, he trades DeMar for young, you know, any young asset he could get. Um, ditto for Lowry, ditto for, you know, Ibaka. And he, he basically does what he wanted to do uh, five years ago when he tried to trade um, you right. know, Kyle Lowry to the Knicks. Yeah, I, it's, an, it's such an interesting what if. Um, but if they win, I mean, I don't, maybe he could leave. Maybe we really are, maybe we Well, look at his answer to the, you know, I know it's, Oh, the Canada question? What will this mean? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But it's just like, well, that's just him being him. And quite honestly, it's actually, if you listen to the full answer, like I think everyone saw the beginning part where he's saying like, you know, they ask him, what do you yeah. think this would mean to Canadian fans for people who haven't seen it? And he's he literally like stares blankly and he's like, I don't know. Yeah. You would have to ask one of them. But if you think about it, it's like, well, that is actually an honest answer, right? Like, he's not from Canada. He hasn't been sitting there, like, 
going through, you know, the losing of not just the Raptors, but all, you know, all the organizations since the Blue Jays won in, in 93, I guess, was the last time they won. Well, I, um, I don't know. How have the Argonauts done? Is it the yeah, Ar- Do they, they play in they, Toronto? Well, it's their, um, funny enough, people think Canada, they think hockey. The national sport in Canada is actually lacrosse. Oh, wow. Okay. And the, the Toronto Rock, I think, is their team name. <laughs> the they Rock? Been, like Dwayne yeah, Johnson? I'm pretty sure it is the Rock, but they have been like the dominant lacrosse team. Like not recently, I think they finally fell off, but they literally were like, they won like every single year they'd win a championship. So they have been the one, the one team that's been you know dominant up there. And they also play in, and I'm still used to calling it Air Canada Center, but Scotia Bank Arena. And I know, by the way, this is me because I went to school up in Toronto, so I know more about Toronto than I should. Um, but. You know, the the point is he doesn't know any history to do with the city, so he's given an honest answer. But that said, he's it's still just so distant and so not warm and not fuzzy that you're like, okay, if you're trying to bank on a little bit like I don't know, just any human. Like I just feel like if I if I'm I'm not Canadian, but if I am on this team that's on this magical run and I'm seeing you know, at Oracle Arena, hundreds of fans singing the national anthem after the game. And I'm, you know, realizing like how big this really is, an entire country getting behind you. I would just think it would impact me in some way. And it just doesn't for him. So what's so strange, I guess my final point is what's so strange about this summer is it's not just that we have a unique time where literally the two superstars on the two teams in the finals could each leave those teams for teams that are much worse. But it's that a lot of these superstars are just really different personalities. They're not guys that you can sort of predict or put along a narrative. They're guys that literally, whatever they do, doesn't really surprise you because it's them. I mean, maybe Kyrie the most extreme. So I think that's what makes it all so crazy is that, yeah, they could win. Could you, it seems impossible to leave, but I mean, with Kawhi, like, is anything uh, a surprise? Um, no. Um, one. Two, I agree with every word you just said, but also have to acknowledge um, that the entire time you were giving your answer, I was thinking, what if The Rock was actually named after the movie The Rock about Alcatraz? And their motto was, um, your best. Losers try their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Um, that was going through my head the entire time you're giving your answer and, and, and three, um, you nailed it. Um, this is the first time in the history of the league where, um, you, I, I think you could argue that, um, four of the most talented, um, seven players in the league are all on the table for movement. If, um, we're throwing Anthony Davis in there. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting. Well, I, the reason why I think the Kawhi, you know, them winning is so fascinating is because even more so than Durant, I think the entire year up until about like two weeks ago, Kawhi leaving was the given, right? It was like, all right, well, right. we know he's going to, you know, he's going to leave. Um, you know, even I think it was uh, going into the finals or maybe, no, it wasn't going into the finals. It was like during the Milwaukee series, I think Zach Lowe and uh, maybe it was Howard Beck. They put it at like 30% chance he stays. And that was like higher than it would have been, you know, at most points during the season. I think that's one interesting thing. And then the very last point that I'll make is this. 
maybe Durant has a new recalibration to make with this because you know NBA history as well as I do. When when a run is over, it's over. And we've seen runs end abruptly before. We saw it with the Heat in 2014. Nobody expected that to end there. And then LeBron left and everybody was like, well, if he had stayed, that would have kept going. And it's like, well, probably, but maybe not. Um, you know, it's happened in the past, you know, Lakers in the early aughts, like that ended pretty quick. Like, does Durant look at this as like, maybe now is the time to get out? And who knows, the Warriors can roll off three straight and they could look impressive doing it with or Durant on the court. Who knows? And like everything I just said is going to be nonsense. But I just, it's an, it's something that like that thing that I just said even if there's only like a 10% or 15% chance of that thought entering into the you know the, the 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 lexicon whether it's in his head or elsewhere that wasn't even on the table um even like 48 hours ago you know what i mean yep no uh, absolutely you know like maybe this is maybe that's something that that he that he's yeah no i mean i think that that picture of the um you know, everyone's singing Oh Canada in Oracle Arena, which would be the last game there right yeah. now. Um, uh, that, you know, I just think that that's when, for a lot of people, the realization came like, yeah, this... Because even, let's face it, even after, you know, game three, whatever, um, I just don't think it had set in for most people that this could be actually the end. Well, even just though think how, quickly, to it. think how quickly it turned. Game three... I think pretty much every, all every observer was like, "Yeah, this is kind of a must-win for the Raptors because um, Clay isn't playing, right?" And then no. we went from literally from in the span of one game, we went from must-win for the t- for the Raptors to oh my god, the Raptors are going to win the finals, you know? And it's just um, it's crazy how unless it, yeah, unless it well, all right. Then the last question is this: Durant comes back. And they turned three one, which obviously was the one championship they didn't win, sure. and ironically the one that led to Draymond Green texting them from the parking lot, yep. texting Durant from the parking lot. I mean, you know, the it's all there for it to the poetic end, right? Where he comes back and now he turns a corner and helps and they them win it? come back from three one and win it. If that were to happen, the the do you think again it would change your mind in terms of you I think know he's... before it was just you know who wins does it matter but the to win it that way would that change your mind about it I think if he comes back it is because there is something that pulls him back um like out of obligation um and I think it would have been if they won it if they won it without him um, I could even see him coming back to like to. Well, no, I. Let me rephrase that. If they lost it, right? If they just if they lose, I could see him coming back because he would feel like oh, I can't leave on those terms. Um, but if if he comes back and at, at this point and they win it, um, I really do feel like he's going to look at it and be like, all right, I I can't accomplish anything more here. I've done everything I could do, and then. What then goes on the table for him is like, holy shit, I have a chance to etch my name as one of like the five greatest players ever. Um, 
Now, is there, I guess, some thinking that he would have a better shot at doing that if he goes and stays in Golden State and wins like two two more you know championships there as like the undisputed best player on the team? Or, you know, how much would a championship somewhere else, um, whether it's New York or, or elsewhere? I, I don't know. Um, I, I Trying to read that dude's mind is like, uh, you're, if anybody has any clue, you know, you're, you're better off than me at it because I have no idea. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so on that note, um, let us go enjoy the nice weather that is uh, – it actually got a little sunnier as I'm sitting here by the, the back doors of my kitchen and it's like the sun is shining even brighter. So uh, yeah, we'll go. We'll go and do that. Yep, probably do yard work though. It probably means really. <laughs> um, I have I have my black garbage bags ready to go. I have my lawnmower. I need to mow both the back and the front lawns. That's that's a tall task. It's, not, it's not gonna be fun. That's right. But all we, right, sounds good. We do what we have to do. All right, um, we'll talk this week and uh, everybody out there. Um, oh, I'm gonna do the thing that we always forget to do. If you're not subscribed to the Knicks Film School newsletter. Subscribe to the Knicks Film School newsletter. You could find the link to subscribe um, on either my homepage on Twitter um, or JB's, uh, at the, the Knicks Film School homepage on Twitter. Um, it's free. It is awesome. It comes to your mailbox every weekday. Um, you get my writing in there. You get all the latest news and updates. So do that if you haven't done so already. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. We'll be back with you soon. 